listener production. How much do you do for your kids? I think parents feel pressured to do so much for their kids today because we got mixed up somewhere along the way and we got the idea that it is our job to make our kids happy. And I don't think that is actually our job. And that has us doing more and enjoying less. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking about whether we've lost our way on what our kids really need. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Parents today are constantly chasing their tails. They're dropping kids off to daycare or school, driving them to swimming, piano or soccer, helping them with their homework while trying to cook dinner and tucking them into bed while trying to finish work emails. Even while you're doing all the things, it can feel like it's never enough. So what is enough? That's what I'm going to dig into today with Jen Muir. Jen is a mum of four boys, a parenting educator at Connected Parenting, and she's here today to talk to us about finding a way back to what our kids really need. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Now, we all want what's best for our kids, and what the best is can vary from home to home. But generally, I think there's a feeling that the best for our kids is a good education, a safe home, and food on the table. Do you think that's right? I think that's right. And I would add, when we say a good education, I think these days what we're wanting from that isn't just academics, probably wanting our kids to have an emotional education. We want to raise kids with high EQ in that they are kind and they're compassionate, that they're resilient. We know these are things they're going to want. And so we want to offer them life experiences and coach them through that. I think that's definitely something that is on most parents' minds in addition to the food and the the general stuff and safety, you know. Mm, Safety. Yeah. So I think that's what we all want. But I feel like what it's evolved to be is basically multiple extracurricular activities with parents working a lot. Mm. Um, because the parents are working because they have to do the two basics, the home and the food. And it just doesn't seem sustainable because you're kind of caught in this rat race. Like you're trying to provide the safety in the home and you're working, but then you're trying to do all these extracurriculars for your kids so that they have full, happy, fulfilling lives. And you're just there going, oh my God, I can't do all of it. No. It's full on. <laughs> <laughs> we are saying, by the way, we're talking about this because we both do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we t- <laughs> totally do it. We do it. We all do it. So there is so many factors here. So we are caught up in a world where, I mean, for the last, it's only been 13 years really that social media has existed. We're comparing ourselves to others. We're having children later in life. We're having less of them. Track back, you know some hundreds of years, but not even that far, you had 10 kids because they worked for you. (laughs) I'm not even trying to be funny, but they worked on the land. You had kids because they were useful. (laughs) And you had 10 of them because one or two might die. Yeah. They were, I mean, they weren't expendable, but it was not as precious. So now we're in a really different world. The kids are not working for us. We're working for them. Yes, sir. We, 
<laughs> we are working hard. And so we've got, we do have things a bit mucked up. All the evidence is so clear that kids don't need all that extracurricular. It's not, not only do they not need it, it's not good for them. It's anti-good for them. They would be better running in the fields, climbing in the trees. We know that. And yet we, you and me and the world, we all do do it because everybody does it. And then we feel like my kid will miss out if they're not on the sports team, they won't make the friends. And so we're doing the stuff. There's nothing wrong with the individual stuff. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with playing soccer or doing violin. These are good things to do and kids can get a lot of meaning out of them. And there are great benefits that come from doing extracurricular but there is something wrong with it if it's financially breaking us, if it's mentally breaking us, if your kid actually isn't into it. And I guess the question is, there's nothing wrong with any of these individual things, but maybe there's just too many of them. And we, you have to give something up mm. to have peace, to have less. You're going to have to actively opt out. And that is a hard thing to do. Yeah, because we were literally just talking about this. Yes. When I said my husband has a course on and I can't get there to take the kids to swimming and what am I going to do? And Jen just said, just skip swimming. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Because in in my head, I'm like, oh, but if they skip swimming for the period of this course, then you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be strong swimmers they'll and they're strong behind. swimmers. Behind. Yes, they'll get behind. And I'm like, but... Swimming carnival's been and gone. <laughs> and, behind, and behind what? Behind what? And that's comparison mm. and that's a, that's parenting out of fear. So that's that's where we're scared. We're coming from a scarcity mindset like I have to push and push to have my kids be enough and getting, again, getting behind what and what do we create by having that afternoon where we don't go, where we skip off swimming and they can do whatever they want. And Which is Amazing. And what we have nothing of. Yeah. So okay. if I look at the week and it, it's all about working hours and shuffling, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I'd say to the teachers, we don't have time for homework. Yeah. And my kids don't even do that much, right? Yeah. I've allowed them, allowed them to do two <laughs> extracurriculars. They're starting to say to me, we want to do more. I'm like, that's great. You want to do more. But i kind of feel as well that we're both learning at the same time, mm. us as adults, my husband and I, and the children, um, that there are only 24 hours in the day mm. and how we use them and what we choose to do in that time is important. Yeah. So just saying, let's do the swimming because we've done it all before and it's going to break us to try and get you there yeah. and all the rest of it doesn't make sense. But as you say, just that idea of having one more afternoon mm. that they can do a little bit of homework, go for a swim, play. I don't even care if they watch TV, but Get just bored. have, yes, just have their downtime. Mm. That to me is the sweet spot that we forget. We do. Yeah. Right we want to feel every moment and we're, yeah, we're sort of comparing and war coming from a place of worry, I think. And we learned in COVID, we all experienced it. We said, how good is this? We're never going back to the way it was. We've gone back. In overdrive. In overdrive. Feels like it. Yeah. It's busier than ever. Um, with four kids, we're forced to do things differently. Our kids can't do two extracurriculars because we just couldn't no. um, get them there. So in some ways it sort of forces you to live a bit old school, which is kind of cool. But I see it everywhere and we do have a situation where parents are sort of running ragged and you've got to ask yourself, 
at what cost is some of this stuff. Like there's the financial cost alone, which I think is insane sometimes. It's, it's so big. The amount we spend on it. And then there's the cost to our connection and our time and our meals together and our ability just to just be at home and just be chilling without racing. And that's something I've definitely learned from you that I think is really important in this discussion when we're talking about what do our kids really want. So we've talked about how we got to this space where we're mm. thinking this is what they need. Mm. But when I think about the quality times I've had with my kids, the times where I feel they are relaxed and enjoying my company, we've either been playing cards, mm. playing darts, watching a movie. They love it when I watch a movie with them. Yeah, same. And these are all things I enjoy and I can do that aren't breaking the bank or taking a lot of time out of my day. And when I say that, I mean I have real things I have to get done in the mm. day. I have to work. Mm. And I think that's what we miss. Do you is know that all idea. those things you're just describing are they're, they're playful and they're fun and organized sport, even though it is a game, is not playful. It's not play in the sense of free play, creative play. And what you just described is, is play, which we know we need more of as adults and we know that kids need more of. And when we're in a state of play, we actually, our brains hit like a mindful sort of creative zone where we lose track of time. That's how you know you're having fun. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we don't do enough of that these days and our kids are missing out, definitely. We all know that feeling when we are together with our children and enjoying each other. That's what I think we miss today. I mm. think we miss that enjoyment in this striving and that we're not even conscious of. And again, I do this. But when I'm with my kids and we do something fun and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why I had kids. Yeah. Not to do the work. Damn, if I could even get them to wash a plate, I'd be happy. <laughs> but obviously I didn't have kids for them to work for me. But then it reminds you. This is what family is. Yeah. And you, I mean, you didn't have kids for them to work for you, but what I would say is it feels good to be part of a team and kids feel good. Like I think they should be washing those plates. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so many things I'm taking out of this interview. <laughs> going they, home. they feel good. People, humans want to work. People want to feel useful and part of a team mm. and it might be just the way we're tackling it. If we view it as a negative, I want some of the best moments of connection I have with my boys are when we're washing up. So every night they're helping clean up and, uh, you have the best chats while you're side by side at the sink. You oh, know? It means I can't listen to my podcast though, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a bit of me time. But anyway, yes, I yep. see your point. Um, and I do also want to touch on the evolution of parenting mm. So I'll never forget when my kids were really small, I had a friend who had four kids and no, sorry, she had three kids. And when we were talking, she said something along the lines of, you know, parent used to be a noun, not a verb. Yeah. And it's become a verb because it's about how we parent. Mm. And I think it's really great on one level because we're more aware of how to raise kids well. We're more aware of their developmental mm. needs we understand better how yep. to connect with them. But I do feel that it's swung too far. Yeah. I, 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 
Love that example. And I think it was around, I think it was like 1960, it became a verb Mm. and it kind of, you just were a parent. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And then it became a parenting, a thing you do, you know, a thing you do instead of just what you be. Yeah. Which is so interesting and it is so true and we're doing too much. It definitely has swung too far. The biggest thing I see in my work with parents is these incredible, loving, gorgeous parents who are connecting with their kids more than any previous generation. They're also working harder at their jobs more than any previous generation. And they're still berating themselves on the couch at night thinking they're not doing enough. They're doing more than any generation before them. And I think the piece we miss in all these conversations about what kids need is that they need it all some of the time. We do not have to do it all, all of the time. You know, I apply my own advice 30 to 40% of the time. Like I just, I wish we could tattoo that on ourselves. I used to be a lot worse at it. I was definitely a parent. I was trying really hard. I was reading all the books. I was doing, you know, I was, I was me. But at night when I got it wrong, I would berate myself or go, I, I missed this. I dropped that ball. I'm not so good at this. I don't do that so much anymore. I've really worked at it. Like it's been a lot of work <laughs> to stop berating myself. But it's incredible when you're just nice to yourself and you go, okay, so that wasn't part of that 30 or 40% and I'm doing the best that I can. And that, and once you know the evidence that kids need good enough parents that are late to pick them up sometimes, that say no to an activity because of their own mental health, because what you're modeling, when you say no, I, I love you to the moon and back and you're not doing a third extracurricular. <laughs> What you're modeling is the ability to self-care. That's really important. But you're actually teaching them about a good relationship. A good relationship when you love someone, you can love them, but that doesn't mean you're going to do everything they want you to do. And that's where we get lost with our kids because we want to make them happy and we don't ever want to see them sad. And that's a whole other kettle of fish. We don't want to see them sad. Mm. But when we're then saying, okay, fine, you can do the third thing because I don't want to see you unhappy. And then we're sacrificing our own kind of calm and our own connection and and we're putting the relationship second. And I think it's much kinder to say, I love you and we're not going to do that third thing because that wouldn't be good for me and therefore that's not good for you. And then they're learning to go into their future relationships knowing that I can love someone and that doesn't mean I have to do everything they want me to do. And that's important for teenagers and that's important for all of us. I'm wondering if part of that as well is as parents that we just have to accept that we are going to suffer when our children suffer. I mean, part of that is self-interest, right? Because whenever you're, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child, right? And so I'm learning that, especially as my eldest is in the tween years and she's navigating all those things, things that I remember. Mm. And I think, I wish I could make that right for you. And I I physically hurt and Mm. I physically feel sick when I know she's suffering. And then I have to remind myself, well, this is just being a parent. Like you can't fix all the things and you can't make those things right. And you can't stop yourself feeling that suffering, watching her suffer. And I feel like I, I know they say they never told me that about parenting. (laughs) I never realized that about parenting, that I would only ever be as happy as my unhappiest child. Yeah. It's the hardest part of parenting is when our kids are suffering and it begins from the minute your newborn cries and you think, oh my gosh, I need to fix this, solve this, stop this. 
your toddler that has the meltdown and it feels like you feel unsafe, you want to fix it, stop it, solve it, run away, yell at them, anything to make it stop. And this tracks back to how emotions were welcomed in our family of origin. So a lot of it comes down to us making sense of how we feel about feelings. And that's the work of parenting. Mm. <laughs> and even when you have a, and it gets harder and you've got this teenager and they're having a hard time and they say, I've got no friends or oh. I'm being rejected <laughs> and your instinct can still be to fix it, to so tell me the names. Yes, yeah, I'll call their parents. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, by the way. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> or just go play with someone else. Or, or I told you if you're not, you know, being, you know, if you don't get, if you don't just do the right thing, people will exclude you. So we, that's a shame reaction, by the way. But all of those come from a place of the discomfort of seeing our child suffer. And actually all any of us want when we're suffering is for someone to say, that sounds really tough. Tell me more. Mm. And our kids don't want us to suffer when they suffer. They actually want us to just be, be able to be calm and able to hold that space for it. And it is hard and it is a work, it is the work of parenting. And it doesn't really get easier except with practice. You just keep remembering, I don't have to fix this. And this is my child's journey and this is teaching them something. And if you can be compassionate and able to listen and you stay with them through it, you know, they'll get there. And that's a big thing. Mm, it's huge. In your work, you talk a lot about the value of connection. Mm. Can you talk us through what that means? <laughs> I know you're writing a whole book about it, but let's just say <laughs> in 30 seconds or less. In no, 30 seconds or less. <laughs> connection is all about meeting our kids where they're at. And it might sound very loving. So we connect through hugs and we show our children that we love them. But I would say connection is really about answering the three key questions our kids have. So they want to know, are they loved? And we often do this through physical connection and wanting to be with them. So time. They want to know if they're safe. They really need to know that someone's at the wheel when they're not. And that's, we, we have structure, we have boundaries, we have limits, things that we're going to step in and take charge when they need it. And then they finally want to know if they're heard and seen. And that's when we're able to sit with their big feelings. They don't want us to fix or solve them or tell it what to do, tell them what to do. They actually just want to know that those feelings are real, that they're seen and that we are able to sit with it. And I think connection is meeting those three needs at a core level. And our babies come out of the womb seeking those three things from birth. We do that from birth. Wow. So profound, but so straightforward and logical <laughs> and logical. But when you know what kids need, that they need to know that they're physically loved, that we can be with them in their tough times, that we can set a limit when they're out of line, when they're, you know, crossing that, you know, there's a line, I'm there. That's all they need. And so when you're freaking out about whether it's you know, you've taught them good table manners, like I was earlier, or whether they they're doing do enough swimming. extracurricular <laughs> or whether they should go to swimming on Wednesday. You're like, am I meeting these core needs that, that create this secure attachment, which is everything? Yes, I am. I'm nailing it. And I suppose the point to that is this is not another thing you have to add to your parenting no. to-do list, is that you're not scheduling in no. these moments No, and in fact, the less we have on the to-do list, the more we can tune into the relationship. And it's really about knowing that, yeah, we just want to feel 
that connection. And you described earlier the best or most connected you felt was playing cards, you know, or watching a movie. And it's just remembering that and stopping to enjoy that while you can. Is this the antidote to overparenting? Like, can we lessen yeah. the the pressure on parents to do all the things for their kids and just pair it back to those meaningful moments of connection? I really believe it is. It's my life's mission. Um, when I, I mean, I was a overstressed, overeducated, trying too hard um, parent that didn't know what to do, and then sort of really learnt about it. And when I did circle of security parenting as a parent, as a young mum of a one and three year old, and I learnt what kids needed through that course. And there's lots of different ways you can learn about what kids need. And it's what I just talked about, about answering those three questions. And then I went, oh, it's that simple. And so I don't have to stress about whether the puree I just gave my child is organic or not. And that (laughs) that won't have the biggest impact on the person I'm trying to turn out. And so what I would say to parents is almost close your eyes and picture your child in 15 years time coming home for dinner, maybe, and they're coming in the door, picture the person that you want to turn out. And most parents are not saying, well, it's really important that they attended every one of their swimming lessons. (laughs) They're, (laughs) They're probably thinking, I want my child to be resilient. I want them to be compassionate. I want them to have a sense that when things go wrong, they've got something in them that they can get back up, kind, positive, have friends. They're core things that we want. And the single biggest indicator of what turns out that person is the relationship. It's turning up with connection. It's sitting with their feelings and it's setting boundaries. And it's stuff we do pretty innately. If we, if we simplify all the pressure, we're doing that pretty innately. And so when it comes to the other stuff, you know, there's a million different ways to sleep train or not sleep train a baby and all can turn out a beautiful person. Yes. And yet if we just tune into the fact they need to know, am I, you know, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I seen? We can do that standing on our heads. Ah, love it. (laughs) Jen, thank you so much for your time today. That's Jen Muir from Connected Parenting. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.